The Morning Struggle podcast is brought to you by Blue Clover Therapy, a mental health counseling practice in Salt Lake City, Utah. Visit www.blueclovertherapy.com for more information. Blue Clover Therapy, because your mental health deserves a specialist. Welcome to the Morning Struggle Podcast, where we take habits of successful people and break them down one at a time into history, science, and action plan so you can implement them into your life to build a better you. Stay tuned. All right. Morning Struggle Podcast, take two. (laughs) We tried this the first time and we realized the mics weren't on. It's not that they weren't on. There was some technical di- uh, difficulty where it wasn't actually recording anything. Well, I mean, like they weren't on their game. Like they weren't. Oh, like we're, yeah, we're blaming the mics they, on that one? They didn't come one? to show up okay. for, the, for the game is what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, welcome everybody to the Morning Struggle Podcast. I'm Ty. I'm Jesse. And we bring you habits of successful people. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I want to take about 15 minutes and complain about this issue. Okay. So that's not the best idea. Because what are we talking about today? Complaining. Complaining. Yep. And how successful people just complain all the time. Nope. No, they don't complain all the time? If they're going to complain, they're going to do it right. They're, they're going to complain. There's a right and a wrong way to complain? There is. What? Yep. They're, this just show, every time you come to the table with something, it blows my mind. It's because it's cool research. I know. I like it. Um, yeah. So do we have anything to complain about before we get going? Um... I'm kind of snooty tooty because I'm feeling a little sick. You are. You yeah. woke up this morning and you're like, I'm sick. I'm like, oh, are you a little whiny? And man, I... I wasn't whiny. Should not was, have said that. I was sick. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'm going to hold to my opinion here. And I was sick, not whiny. And I... Yeah. Did okay. you just break your mug? And I just broke my coffee cup. This is a this segment is already starting on a complaining foot. <laughs> so let's just not let's just get right into let's, the history. I'm sorry, folks. We're already complaining. We're already. So let's get in the right of the history. We'll get into some science and we'll get into some action plan. So we don't have to stop complaining, but we can complain more effectively, correct? We're gonna do it right. This day in history. In the spirit of complaining, mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk about uncontacted people. Because they have no one to complain to? Because when you think your life is terrible, mm-hmm. just think of people that are uncontacted. Oh, we got to talk about what uncontacted people are. So in, in the world, there's <laughs> about 100 tribes, apparently, approximately, there's of uncontacted not. people. Is there really? Yeah. So Homo sapiens, about 200,000 years ago, came okay. into existence. Right. We, we branched off, you know, two or three million years ago. 200,000 years ago, modern day human form kind of evolved. Okay. 70,000 years ago, we had the cognitive revolution where we kind of started to form groups, then like bigger kind of society groups, but we were still Mm hunter-gatherer. Then 12,000 years ago, we started the agricultural revolution where we started farming. And then a couple hundred years ago, we started the industrial revolution. So we're going to talk about people who never really got out of that hunter-gatherer phase. Okay. So those are uncontacted tribes or uncontacted people. Oh. They live in the Amazon rainforest in parts of Australia and then these islands, you know, on the outskirts of India. That is wild. Yeah. So it's really, really fascinating because they essentially didn't evolve past, you know, that, that hunter gatherer. They never went into agriculture or anything. So they're still hunting with spears and bows and arrows. Uh-huh. You know, they're still gathering and foraging in the forests. Mm-hmm. They, they're essentially what you would think of as an uncontacted tribe of people. 
That's so, amazing. Yeah. So we're going to talk about it. So next time you, you're like, oh, I don't have any data on my phone in this mall. Stop whining. Go like, okay, well, at least you're not having to hunt turtles in the- Turtles? Yeah, got to hunt. Well, you hunt you, turtles. How do you tend to, like, how do you hunt a turtle? You just run it down? Well, there's the sea turtles. Not oh, I see what you're saying. The yeah. sea turtles. Okay. Yeah, sea turtles. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. So we're going to talk about an island called North Sentinel, and it's the Sentinelese. Sentinelese. And these folks are one of the most notorious uncontacted tribes. Oh. Because they are feisty. We'll call it feisty. Feisty? Yep. Or defending their area? Yeah. I feel well, like that's fair. That's probably fair. So they, the census from 2011 says they have between 80 and 150 people on the island. Okay. Could be as little as 15 and as many as 500. That's how hard it is to track these kind of people. Oh, They wow. do some flyovers. So there's some islands on the coast of India. They're called the Andaman Islands. Okay. One of them is like a penal colony, like a prison. And then there's some touristy ones. And then there's the one North Sentinel Island for the Sentinelese. And it's oh. a protected island now. You know, India has made it. You can't go on vacation protected. with these tribes? Well, the reason we know about the Sentinelese, like, internationally, is because mm-hmm. an American tourist illegally went on the island and was killed. Well, yeah. So Americans thinking they can just do whatever they want. Yeah. He didn't even ask for permission. That he just really- showed up just yeah. like an American's will. <laughs> so let's go back and let's talk about these Sentinelese. So in 1771, mm-hmm. um, an East India co- uh, vessel, an East Indian company vessel, mm-hmm. was doing a hydrographic survey. Okay. They were survey- surveying water, I'm guessing. Like, oh, this one looks, this water looks flat. Oh, this water looks bumpy. You know, they're like charting it down. I don't know what they would do. But they saw lights coming from the island. They saw their fires. Mm -hmm. But they didn't stop because charting water was so important. Yes, it is. And so they continued on. But they knew people lived there. But it wasn't for another hundred years that anybody made contact. What? And a ship called the Nineveh. Nineveh? Nineveh crashed. It crashed into the reef with 86 Mm -hmm. passengers and 20 crew members. And they all managed to swim their way to shore. Hmm. The Sentinelese let them stay on the beach for three days. Okay. And then the Sentinelese decided that was long enough. Wow. So instead of being like, hey, you know, you've been sleeping on my couch for a few days. It's kind of time to go find your go, own place. They brought out their bows and arrows and nice. their spears. And they decided to have a makeshift Lord of the Fly style battle. What? And so the passengers... <laughs> Yeah. Grabbed some sticks and stones, and they had a full-fledged, like, little mini war on the oh beach. Oh, my gosh. And then a um, British Navy vessel saved the passengers and the crew. I'm not oh, sure wow. if anybody died. This article didn't say if anybody died. But let's just say it left a bad taste in the Sentinelese um, yeah, they image of, of, you know, white people. Yeah, they weren't into it. They were not into it at all. So, um... It'd actually be quite scary if you have... If your culture hasn't been interrupted at all during this entire giant span and then suddenly a hundred people that don't i'm assuming don't look like you come on to the beach and you're like okay yeah and it's not disney they're not adopting all their kids and like bringing them into the tribe they're gonna stab them they're gonna well it it makes sense like like cook when cook went to the hawaiian islands or wherever i think it was hawaiian islands okay and they thought he was a god and then he oh, left, yes. and there was a storm, so he had to go back. And they're like, wait a minute, a god would not, you know, come back because of a storm. Right. And then they killed him. Right. You know, it makes it make sense. It's your your area, your land. I don't know. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but let's just say you don't want to go. Even if you're like a hardened criminal. So, <laughs> I don't know how the year, but a, a criminal escaped from 
the Grand Sentinel or Grand Andaman Island, which is the penal colony, the prison, and made a raft and floated to North Sentinel Island where the Sentinelese lived. Okay. Well, you know, it's a big prison break. Well, they found him on the island a few days later, decomposing with a bunch of arrow uh, stabs in him. They're like, yep, nope, sorry, buddy. Maybe they're just, maybe they just knew he was a prisoner and and they did that. Did he have his little striped striped outfit on? Ooh, I bet he did. It was yeah. probably so very it was like stripes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, so um, it was it kind of like it was left untouched because of those rumors for a long time. Right. Until um, an anthropologist named Pandit, um, Trinok Nath Pandit. That's the coolest name ever. Yeah. You have to go to islands and discover undiscovered things. You you have to. I mean, you have you can't you have no other, no other choice. Your parents chose a name that has to go be Indiana Jones essentially. That's right. So in the 60s, he started doing some visits to the island, and they would show up at the island with gifts, mm-hmm. and the Sentinelese would shoot arrows at the raft, nice. you know, from the shore, mm-hmm. and most of them would scatter, like, so the village, like the little huts, they had these lean-to huts. Right. Um, well, I would assume, like, you'd have all the kiddos run area. away. And... Yeah. So everybody had a lean-to hut, mm-hmm. circled around a central area, and each one had their own little fire. Okay. That's kind of all they could see from the from the ocean as they're getting shot with arrows. But they'd go and they'd drop off a bunch of presents like coconuts and and fish and different things like that. They'd drop it off and then they'd leave real quick. Mm -hmm. And so this happened for 25 years. What? They didn't reciprocate any presents or anything like that until one day they Mm -hmm. saw their little boat coming up to the island and they came out to the beach with no weapons. Oh. So they were able to cross the reef, go in, they came out, they got their coconuts and then they kind of like shushed them away. So like, good job. Thank you for the coconuts. Thanks, buddy. And they decided at that point that they should let the Sentinelese be and leave, leave them alone. Um, so that, they didn't complain. They didn't do anything. They just shot you with bows and arrows. Hmm. So next time, like I said, you don't have internet service in the mall, just pull out your bow and arrow. And you're not getting, I mean, seriously. Yeah. You're not getting attacked. Yeah. But murdered it's pretty, on the beach. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see. Uh, there are some of these undocumented and uncontacted people still out there yeah. living as we used to live and doing just fine. Doing just fine. No reason to complain. Well, hundreds of years. Like, I mean, these folks. Thousands, tens of thousands. Probably of tens years. of thousands. But I mean, like, as far as modern history is documented, like at least a couple hundred years of them doing their thing. And then that's cute that they're like, yeah, give us the gifts and get out. And get out. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are the Sentinelese. Um, the islands are beautiful. Oh, I bet it's gorgeous. If I, like, you should look up the pictures. If I were them, I'd be shooting dudes with bows and arrows too. <laughs> because next thing you know, there's going to be a Sandals Beach mm-hmm. um, resort. resort yeah. And you're going to be serving some somebody drinks. That ain't going to happen. Absolutely not. That ain't going to happen. So anyway, <laughs> there's the Sentinelese um, complaining. But anyway, so let's get back into science mm-hmm. and let's talk about what complaining does to our brain. I'm guessing it's going to have a lot to do with cortisol. There's always cortisol. And then we'll talk about how to properly complain. So guess what? What? The more you complain, the better you're at it. True. But yeah, your brain is wired for it. So you're more likely to complain in the future. So you are what you do. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you complain, you start complaining, you complain more. Right. But it actually strengthens the connections that you make in your brain. So if you tend to be a complainer, if you come from a complaining family, whatever that is, 
in the future, no matter how positive you become, that complaining may may be your go-to right out the gate. So if you are raised complaining, you may not be able to break that habit. At some point you will, but it'll be very difficult. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And it, you're, because your brain literally gets wired that way. Like that will be the thing that the go-to, if you will, the that go-to would, thought. That's what defines you. Okay. Yep. And so Stanford did these really cool, re, like did really good research studies on complaining and found that it actually shrinks the hippocampus. And as you know, and the hippocampus is an essential part of the brain that basically is kind of that problem-solving intellectual thought area that's so important for us to like have critical thinking and be able to focus and all of that it is also the same area that shrinks with alzheimer's whoa so complaining is essentially similar to alzheimer's it is very similar to the point that it also makes it where you're more likely to have alzheimer's because when you go into those higher ages your hippocampus is already smaller and therefore you're more likely it's a quicker process with Alzheimer's once your hippocampus is shrunk. So with the the part of this research is is researching families and how on a percentage much they complain and then how much smaller the kids are that go into the world their hippocampus is and how that's already a disadvantage. So like disadvantage because of their problem solving skills or critical thinking skills all all that stuff is controlled or regulated yeah. by the hippocampus. Yeah, so the hippocampus is smaller therefore your brain is less likely to be able to do these critical problem solving skills and intellectual focus all of that kind of stuff. It 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 really is centralized there. So if your hippocampus is smaller and less effective when you go into the world, let's say college because this is, you know, obviously a college um, you are less likely to be prepared for those skills that are expected in that school type setting because your hippocampus is smaller. Interesting. So it's an actual brain physiology. Yeah, like it's a it's brain damage. Okay. Every time you complain, it's brain damage. So think about it that way. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So this morning when I was complaining, brain damage. Okay. That's where it's at. Um, here's cortisol. You get extra cortisol that is released, and um, as you know, cortisol makes your brain swell. It's bad. Right. Chronic cortisol. Chronic cortisol. The cortisol itself is actually in- incredibly amazing. Like it's the reason why we have survived so long. We can get away. It it tells everybody else, all the other hormones in the body. It's a that, stressor hormone. It releases under stress and yeah. lets us do amazing things. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes us super strong. Makes it so we don't feel pain. I mean, it's like all this amazing stuff. However, what because of modern day, we are always stressed. We always have cortisol coursing, right? And what happens is the brain starts swelling and our immune system deadens because you don't need an immune system if the lion's chasing you right so there's no reason to have it on however we're not being chased by lions very often anymore and so therefore we're more likely to have diabetes strokes um obesity like you're less efficient with calorie intake outtake um and strokes interesting so the more you complain the more likely you are to have these other disorders as well and the more likely you are to be sick and, and yeah. go down that rabbit hole so people actually who complain a lot actually have a lot to complain about yeah and which it, essentially builds on the complaining it reinforces that wiring in the brain so even if you do get better even if you know you are managing your diabetes or whatever's going on then so boom. complaining begets complaining yep. and you spiral out of control and that's why it's such a hard thing to move away from is because we do get into these habits thought thought pattern habits anyway but our brain is actually wired for that and then also we tend to 
put people, whoa, I just popped, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, we tend to put people who also complain around us. So we're all, it, because we feel more comfortable if we're always complaining that someone else is always complaining, we can complain together. It's a social bonding technique. So you get these uncontacted tribes of just complainers. Just, yep. And they're just complaining like crazy. Tribes. Yes, exactly. Well, and, and the brain is obviously so incredible, but the brain naturally and unconsciously mimics moods of the people around us. That's where we get empathy. So even if you're the one not complaining, even if you're trying to be the person who's like pep talking people and looking at the bright side and all of that, if you, if you interact with a lot of people who complain, your body actually still reacts the same way as the complainer. You get increased cortisol. Your brain actually gets wired for complaining because you're around them. You're getting secondhand complaining. You are. And it's, it's uh, neural mirroring. Neural mirroring. Yeah, mirror, mirroring. Mirroring. <laughs> There's so okay. many R's in that one. But I mean, and, and really, empathy is very effective for us to like be able to understand and create social bonds and all of that. But so is complaining. We, we bond through social complaining. And so even if, you know, you are not complaining, you're still getting all of those reactions inside. So it might be a good idea to kind of distance yourself from the complainer or the person that you're always pep talking because your body is also being affected by it. Okay. And, and the hands down, most research, most effective way to combat that reaction within your body when you're complaining is you, I mean, you're going to not be surprised at all. It's gratitude. So you need to be thankful for what you have and what you are and where right. you're going. So the second that like, if like I'm sick, right. And I can complain that I'm sick. Um, I can still be sick and I can still get assistance and support. But if I'm like, well, you know what, maybe my body just wanted me to slow down a little bit. I can see that. Right. So that gratitude reduces my cortisol by 23% or more. Whoa. 23%. So that's almost a fourth of the cortisol coursing through my body has reduced because of my thought patterns. That's actually pretty powerful. Isn't stuff. that wild? It's like so, when you when you think you're not sick, you it may actually make you get better faster. Right. It's I mean it's like a placebo fake out for yourself. But it's actual chemistry and or physiology in your body actually doing its work. Right. Okay. Well, and that's the thing is I don't want you to lie until I mean and say I'm not sick. And I'm go not sick. Your whatever. Like, yeah. Still I'm, get your support. Yeah. Still get assistance. Like I'm grateful that I get this time to rest and let my body recover. Yes. So, and just that will assist in that process, which makes healing better because once your cortisol goes down, swelling goes down, and then your immune system can kick back up. Incredible. Not wild. That is, that is wild. So complaining is terrible. It, it, make, like. it makes you sick. It yeah. makes it so you're more likely, I mean, if your immune, immune system's down, you're more likely to be sick when you complain. Right. And it makes sense. You, the, the, some of the most successful people in the world, you know, the Forbes, you know, 100 and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. all the people on there you go they're they're amazing and you never hear any of them complaining about anything yeah even they, the things that are really rotten and even the things that are yeah. terrible and they've got probably way more stress than the average person so why are they not complaining a lot more right and it's because it's ineffective and, and they probably either know that consciously or subconsciously so it makes sense it really doesn't do us any good so okay there it is neat huh so there's the science that's what happens to your brain yep so it inflames your brain like always with all the bad stuff yeah uh so let's do a quick coffee segment yes and then are you going to tell us or is the action plan just be like don't complain oh no i'm going to tell you how to complain effectively because i don't want you to not 
be negative. About... You don't want to like just walk around with a fake smile, like pat plastered on your face all the time. Right. Cause, cause I'm good? still sick. Right. Like things, bad things happen. And so I, it's not that I don't want you to like, I want you to pretend those things aren't happening. Right. I want you to do it effectively. So it doesn't hurt your body. All right, I'm excited for this. All right, here we go. I drank pots and pots and pots and pots of strong black coffee trying to keep my sleepy soul awake but the sleepiness still comes along and when it does it's fast and strong i end up with a bad case of the shakes so last episode yeah i talked about turkish coffee yeah, you, you said, oh, what, what's Turkish coffee? Yeah, I don't and know. And I said, I think it's like Turkish beans. That's not it at all. It's not even close. What is it? So I looked it up and I was way in left field. Um, so I'm going to talk about Turkish coffee. Okay. And it's been made this way for hundreds and hundreds of years. So it goes in line with our uncontacted tribe. Yeah. People. That's what, so I, Has I mean, been changed. I have to have a tie-in. I can't just be like, I know, I don't... coffee's good and I like coffee. So <laughs> like, I need a tie-in. I just like it. So Turkish coffee. So this is a Turkish or Arabic style of coffee. And like I said, it's been brewed this way for at least 400 years by multiple kinds of people. But it is a specific type of brew, not necessarily a specific type of coffee. What now? A A specific way to brew the coffee, not a specific bean. So I could take my Starbucks Christmas blend that we have like six packages of. I think so, because that's Arabica coffee. Right? From okay. that area, from that general region. Right. So anyway, you need a few things though. So you can't just put it in your French press. You'll need an ibric or an earbic. I don't, know, I don't know what that is. It's like a pot. Imagine a pot with a long handle. Like it looks like a cup. Like if you were to drink out of a little cup and okay. it's got a long handle at a 45 degree angle sticking out of it that you can put on the stove. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's, that's your little pot to essentially brew your, brew your coffee. Then you need a really good ground or grinder so they have like like the uh little little ceramic grinder a burr grinder and you have to grind the coffee down to a really fine powder like powdered sugar oh no kidding so you're gonna have a lot of coffee left in this yeah so making the brew you ready yep so you place the coffee in the the pot Mm -hmm. with cold water a little bit of sugar maybe some some spice and then you bring it to a boil. So everything goes in cold. Okay. And, and they can put spices such as like cardamom, cinnamon, nutmeg, cloves. Yeah, all any, the ones that we like do. That. Yeah. Yep. And then you stir in the sugar and you dissolve it. And you put it over low heat okay. and you start to bring it to a boil. And it'll start to froth. But before it boils, you pull it off the, the heat. So you got to be watching this bad so boy. So you got to be watching it. Mm-hmm. And then you do it and then you let it cool a little bit and then you do it again. What? And then it kind of frosts a little faster and you can take some of the froth and pull it out and put it in the cups if you want. Whoa. But before it boils, you pull it off. Okay. And then you do it a third time. <laughs> and you put it on for the third boil. Whoa. And it, again, very quick, it'll start to, to, to froth. And then it gives you this super rich and creamy brew. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. Yep. And so then you, you can give it another boil if you want, but then you pour it into your coffee cups. Okay. And you drink it like uh, a boss. Like a boss. Like so that's a, a Turkish coffee. What, what is it in a little cup? It, like, because is it condensed kind of? This looks like it's like a teacup. Like a little teacup? Like a little tea, teacup. And yeah, they, they do say that it is a little richer. So, okay, first off, I want to try it. That sounds amazing. 
Second off, I'm never doing that at home. That is not happening no. at, at your house. And, and Turkish Mm-mm. coffee, well, you, you have to let it sit for a little bit because like at the bottom of the cup, you're going to have a lot of, of uh, sediment. Yeah, because I mean, you're just, this powder is just part of the liquid, part right? Part of the yeah. liquid. Instead of getting filtered like a, a drip coffee or an AeroPress or something like that, right. it's essentially in the coffee. Yeah. So you're essentially like eating the coffee bean. That's amazing. So, I would happily eat coffee beans. I've had a cup of Turkish coffee before and I remember not liking it. <gasps> But this what? was before I was a coffee snob. What? When did you have Turkish coffee without me? I was in Turkey just tra- backpacking like last week. Being a spy, whatever. Yeah. No big. No, God, no. A spy. Yeah. The spies, the spies are talented people. I'd get in there and they'd be like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm a spy with the US. I'm so sorry. Can I go home? <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah. So anyway, there's your Turkish coffee. Oh, that's cool. Um, I'm going to need to research where I can get a cup. Of Turkish coffee. I'm pretty sure your local barista will be able to make you a cup of no, Turkish coffee. No. They're, they're a lot of them really good. Your local pansy. barista. Your local barista. Oh, okay. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask every barista I know now and just be like, hey, is this something you guys do or is yeah. this like a weird thing? Yeah. Let us know. Let us know if you drink Turkish coffee. I think that'd be amazing. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So there and you go. I will. Yeah. I will eat the coffee beans. I think that's a fantastic yeah, idea. Exactly. Yeah. Get, get that extra caffeine in you. <laughs> so let's get back into complaining. Let's, let's action plan this so we can complain the right way. Let's hope you make the most of it, my boy. So no surprise. I want you to start with gratitude. Okay. Because I mean, 23%, you can't beat that reducing your cortisol levels. So just like, like always have gratitude or when you feel like you need to start complaining, implement your gratitude. Both. So, so both. But I think, I think in general, like our society, especially in, in, in America, I don't know, I haven't lived in, you know, like Europe or something, but it's very, there's a lot of materialism happening and it's like, well, I could have the bigger house. I could have the better car. I could have better clothes. I need a better purse. Like there's lots of things that we need. And, and in doing that, you're essentially saying that your house, your car, your purse isn't as good as that one. So it's, so it's very distressing. Yeah. It's very distressing. So instead of being like, you know, my house is awesome and it serves my family right? That's gratitude. I am, I'm essentially creating that wiring in my brain where it's like my house is the worst. Okay. That makes sense. So I want, we're trying to organically rewire your brain all the time, because if we're just going to pinpoint when you're complaining, complaining is very kind of a knee jerk reaction. Like it, it, we don't sit there and go, I wonder what I'm going to complain about today. Um, it is something where it's like, I don't like this. And then you have an outburst of some kind. So, so do you, do you cue your, how do you cue yourself to essentially be grateful? That's kind of a hard one. Yes. Yeah. So, um, usually what I do like with, um, or what I do personally, or what I have my clients do is we signal someplace, like either you're walking into your house, you're getting into your car, you are, you know, scrolling Facebook or something and something where you shut all that down and you say some sort of gratitude statement, even in your head or out loud. It's usually more effective if you can say it out loud, but internally is fine as well. So like every time you walk in your house, you oh, I love do some house. do some gratitude statements. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and and we're I'm you're not going to catch every complaint, but the thing is is that we're we're trying to blanket this gratitude so that the likelihood of you complaining actually goes down simply because you're you are more gracious. Cuz you're more grateful and you're yeah. being more grateful more often. Right. Okay. So let's say you got to complain, right? You're talking to your cell phone service or right. something. We got to right. complain about something. 
first you're going to complain with a clear purpose. I don't want you to go into the complaint just kind of being a whiny toddler about something isn't your way. You need to be like, okay, my cell phone service is not this. I need it to be this. This is my objective. Oh, so like I can call my cell phone company and say, hey, I am not getting service in these areas. I need either better service, a discounted price, or I need to switch to a different carrier. Right. And you're ready to go. And then so you have a, a an action plan objective. And there's two parts to that. First off, you are less than just kind of this complaining negative spiral and you have an objective. It's very rational objective. And second, you don't get tugged around on whatever they want you to do. Because if you don't know what your objective is, they could easily talk you into something that wasn't exactly what you were looking for. Oh, yeah. Hey, just buy the latest and greatest new phone and extend your plan out two years and you're good to go. And you walk out of there and go, I got the same service and I just spent $1,000 on a phone. What just happened? Exactly. And then you complain about how much money you spent on your phone. Right. And it's a very emotional event and it it really solidifies in your brain when we have those things. All right. Second, I want you to start with something positive and why you want the situation better. Okay. Okay. So if your boss is being a butthead and you need them to act differently towards you, you go in saying, I love working here. I love my job. My pension's rad, whatever it is, but my objective. But this, this issue needs to be fixed. Yes. Okay. And so the reason why we start with a positive is because the person's not going to go defensive right out the gate. And it recognizes that you want to make the situation better because you, you like this situation. Okay. Right? We call this in our biz the compliment sandwich. <laughs> so technical compliments, term. then the problem, then a compliment. Right. Nice sandwich. Okay. <laughs> Again, you have your objective and then you are very specific about your solution. Okay. Right. And kind of how you laid it out in three different options. Um, you can do that and be like, this is what I need. But let's say like in a um, communication way, you'd be like, I need you to take, not talk over me. Just that you kind have of one objective. You yeah. Just, just say, be like, I need this to happen. Yeah. And, okay. and be very clear, be, be very specific and don't attack the other person. You always talk over me. Not going to do any good. But if you say, I, I need you to give me time to speak and not talk over me because I need my point to be made or I need to feel heard, right? So we're being very specific with this and true to the, to the, what is it? Complaint sandwich or compliment sandwich. Compliment sandwich. Yeah. You follow, you follow up with the tail end with a compliment or not a compliment, a positive of some kind. Yeah. It's it's a compliment sandwich. (laughs) It's It's perfect. And, and again, it leaves the person feeling good. They want to advocate for you. It's, it's the best, I mean, literally research-based, it's the best way to get your way is to be positive, clear objective with a solution, positive again. Okay. I think that is, it takes away from what I am saying when you make it into a simple compliment like, sandwich. This university studied this, and I'm a professional, and I'm like, oh, we do the compliment sandwich. It's the best ever. Okay. I'm like, no, well, there's it, research. It works, and everybody's going to remember the compliment sandwich. So, right. right. Well, and so, and so when you do this, you're getting stuff done. You're being an advocate for yourself and you're reducing the harmful effects on you. Okay. So be grateful and mm-hmm. dish out some compliment sandwiches. Gosh. All right. And then, re- oh, and then real quick, <laughs> real quick, let's touch on our year of boredom. Oh, yes. It's going fantastic. It is so good. So. What, what's interesting is because is we have our phones in the car and then we have the main home line, but we take the cell phones if we're going to be like uh, we had our son's birthday party. Right. And so I wanted the parents obviously to get a hold of me if they needed to. And so I had my cell phone with me, which I don't carry my cell phone anymore. First off, it was so awkward. Like that is not even 
a normal thing now and it created anxiety having it right a lot of anxiety it was so wild yeah. like so it's it's been a really interesting experience for those of you who haven't listened to that episode year of boredom we're going through a year of trying to get into a more mindful state mm-hmm. um, by essentially eliminating cell phone use right so listen to that if you want more information but and it's it's going really well so come join us i'm, I'm pretty pumped we'll start about a, it we'll start a movement but anyway <laughs> go out there we're back to complaining uh, don't complain be no. grateful for things sandwiches get out your compliment sandwiches and build a better you guys thanks guys <laughs>